Hello, and welcome to the April 12th edition of Angus Beef Bulletin Audio. I'm Shauna Hermel, editor of the Angus Beef Bulletin, and I'm going to share with you today some of our leading stories in our April 12th edition of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. You can find that newsletter online at www.angusbeefbulletin.com forward slash extra. If you go up underneath the navigation uh, bar and, and select extras, you should be able to pull down a menu that'll give you an option to subscribe to the extra. We'll send you an email twice a month when we send out an edition of the newsletter. All right, for our front page features, we have an article on First Calf Cows, news and notes column with some special news announcements, including our new president for Angus Media, as well as an article on renovating pastures after a drought. We're going to read the article that provides tips for rebreeding success with first calf heifers. Uh, That article is provided by Heather Smith Thomas. It touts only keep heifers that conceive the first time for the most profitable cow herd. The two-year-old year is the toughest time of a cow's life. She's nursing her first calf, still growing, and needs enough nutrition or body condition to cycle again after calving. It can be a challenge to get these first calf cows rebred without losing ground in their calving schedule. A two-year-old is generally the most valuable and the most expensive animal in the herd. She's not yet generated income as her first calf has not been sold, but money has been invested to raise or to purchase her. If she fails to stay in the herd, this is a big loss. It's better to invest more management to get her rebred than start over with another heifer. Jordan Thomas, assistant professor and beef reproductive specialist at the University of Missouri, says reproductive performance is partly a function of how we manage that heifer after calving. Producers usually do a good job with that part, in my experience. What we need to work on improving is heifer selection, he says. You need heifers that breed quickly the first time to rebreed quickly after their first calf. People tend to keep the biggest, prettiest heifers, develop and breed them, and keep everything that conceives, says Thomas. What we need to do, however, is use a very short breeding season on heifers or do pregnancy diagnosis early enough that we can just keep the ones that bred on their first cycle and market the others as bred heifers. Many people keep heifers from their best cows that always breed early. There is some logic to that, but the most important thing is a heifer herself, says Thomas. If she conceives even just one or two cycles later, this sets her up to be open the next year or potentially behind for the rest of her life. U.S. Meat Animal Research Center data show breedback performance as a function of when the heifers conceived in their first year, says Thomas. A heifer that conceived within the first 21 days tends to be more productive and more profitable. She stays in the herd longer and weans more calves while costing less. Heifers are similar to a depreciable asset like a pickup. The longer that asset asset can be depreciated, The cheaper it actually is every year, Thomas explains. If she stays in the herd longer, she's a better asset. She not only weans more total calves during her lifetime, 
She weans heavier calves because they are born earlier in the season. Make sure heifers are adequately developed at the time of calving. You don't want them fat, but they do need some extra condition. A body condition score of 6 gives heifers some cushion when they lose weight after calving. Depending on their genetics for milk production, their first lactation can really pull them down. Another factor is calving season. If they are calving at a time of year when they must be heavily supplemented, it's a tougher economic challenge to meet their nutritional requirements. If there's no green grass, you'll have a higher feed bill to meet those needs, so there has to be some value somewhere else in your program to offset that cost, he says. That value might be calving early in a purebred herd to have bull calves old enough to go through a sale as yearlings. In a commercial herd in range country, it might mean the value of having those heifers bred to selected bulls for easy calving and the genetics you want before they go to range pastures where you have no control over what they might be bred to. If first calf heifers are being supplemented, they also need access to feed where they don't have to compete with the mature cows, says Thomas. As an editor's note, Heather Smith Thomas is a freelance writer and a cattlewoman from Salmon, Idaho. To our management page, we've added three new stories. Um, one deals with how sex semen has a place in the beef industry these days. Um, another article looks at some unique approaches to alternative cow housing systems, especially in areas where uh, land prices are getting excessive. And our lead story, provided by University of Missouri Extension, discusses how to use sacrifice pastures to spare the best cattle grazing pastures. So-called sacrifice pastures might be needed to help promote forage production the rest of this cattle grazing season, according to Patrick Davis, a University of Missouri Extension Livestock Specialist based in Stockton, Missouri. Cattle producers welcome the rain, but it leads to muddy pastures, and with limited forage resources following the drought, proper management is needed for optimum grazing the rest of the year, says Davis. The drought has led to thin pasture stands, so cattle producers need to evaluate their pastures, find those thin stands that need renovation, and consider using those pastures as sacrifice pastures, he says. Davis urges con consultation with local extension agronomy specialists to grade pastures and help make decisions on the pastures that need to be renovated. Move cattle to sacrifice pastures for hay feeding until cool season grass pastures are at proper grazing height, which is approximately 4 to 6 inches, he says. This helps supply fertility in the form of manure and hay in these areas, which helps in the renovation process. This strategy also reduces the destruction of good pastures, which could affect their productivity throughout the grazing season. Proper seeding and management of sacrifice pastures is important to promote grass growth so those pastures can be brought back into the grazing system, he says. Davis urges cattle producers to consult extension agronomy specialists as well as the MU extension guides, establishing forages, and seeding rates, dates, and depths for common Missouri forages when making plans to reseed sacrifice pastures. 
You can go to the article on www.angusbeefbulletin.com forward slash extra to access the links to those two publications. Forage management is key to profitability for your cattle operation, Davis says. For more information on pasture management and how to get the most out of your pastures in the upcoming grazing season, contact your local extension agronomy or livestock specialist. And again, this article was provided by the University of Missouri Extension. And now let's move on to our health and nutrition page. Um, we have three articles added to that page as well. Um, one talks about the minerals and dry lot for cows. A second one from North Dakota State University looks at how to prepare for flooding uh, with so much snow that we've had up in our northern areas, even areas that may not flood are going to be dealing with lots of mud, and that article details some of the information um, that will help producers there. And then our lead story recommends not applying nitrogen to tall fescue pastures in the springtime. Avoid applying nitrogen to tall fescue pastures in spring by Linda Geist, University of Missouri. University of Missouri Extension State Forage Specialist Craig Roberts says ergot alkaloids in Kentucky 31 tall fescue begin to increase about mid-April in Missouri. Tall fescue is the state's main cool season grass. Fescue toxins bring a host of side effects. In extreme cases, toxins cause fescue food in cattle. More subtle losses are lower gains, less milk, poor calving, low weaning weight, and other ills. Adding spring nitrogen to tall fescue pastures worsens problems inherent with ergovaline, the fungus-produced compound responsible for poor animal performance, Roberts says. With added nitrogen comes more toxin, he notes. Effectively, the nitrogen aids both plant and fungus growth. Most tall fescue pastures grow more than most cattle can use in the spring. Many forage experts, including Roberts, recommend low to no nitrogen fertilization during spring. Instead, save your fertilizer dollars for fall. Fescue has two surges of growth, spring and fall. About two-thirds of the annual forage growth comes in the spring. A large application of nitrogen in spring causes grass to crowd out the legumes. If left unfertilized, legumes fix free nitrogen that is shared with nearby grass. Producers also can reduce risk by exercising patience when turning cattle out onto spring pastures. After a long winter of feeding hay, producers might be anxious to turn cattle out onto fescue pastures. Instead, wait until fescue grows to 3 to 8 inches before turning cattle out, says Roberts. Also, don't let cows graze pastures too short, he says. Ergot alkaloid levels are most toxic in the bottom two inches of the plant. Sometimes it pays to clip toxic tall fescue pastures before seed heads emerge, adds Roberts. Seed heads contain high levels of the toxin. Further, waiting until after heading results in low nutritional quality. It's a double whammy, and livestock performance will be dismal. Seeding novel into fight fescue varieties that have a non-toxic fungus simplifies nitrogen spreading decisions, Robert says. 
Replacing toxic fescue pastures proves a cure for many problems caused by grazing Kentucky 31 fescue. MU Extension veterinary toxicologist Tim Evans says fescue toxicosis is one of the biggest challenges for cattle producers. Tests taught fescue pastures for endophyte and ergot alkaloid content during early spring, says Evans. Endophytes remain dormant through winter, then break dormancy when fescue begins spring green up. Evans gives symptoms of ergot poisoning, lameness, hair loss and reddening around tops of hooves, sloughing of hooves or parts of limbs, losing tail switches, extreme heat stress, rapid breathing or panting, spending more time in ponds, possible staggering, and or occasional seizures. Ergotism is like fescue toxicosis on steroids, Evans says. It is not nearly as dependent on ambient temperature. Clinical signs of hoof and tail switch sloughing during late spring and summer are generally indicative of ergot, he says. MU's Veterinary Medical Diagnostic Laboratory tests for ergot poisoning and other toxins. Contact Evans or visit http forward slash forward slash bmdl.missouri.edu forward slash toxicology. And again, Evans's email address is provided in the article along with that link. For more information, see Fescue Toxicosis Ergot Alkalite Exposure Updates. And a link is provided to that article as well. As an editor's note, the author, Linda Geist, is a writer for the University of Missouri Extension. All right, let's turn to our marketing tab here and find the stories that we have added to the marketing page. Um, we've got three really good ones here. Um, one details Brandy Buzzard's presentation um, on how the four pillars of advocacy and how to communicate with consumers. We have an article, actually Troy Marshall's column, The Link, um, which offers a really great commentary you're sure to enjoy on some of the trends in the beef cattle business these days. And then as our lead feature, I'll share here with you an article that kind of gives a little teaser um, to our podcast, The Angus Conversation, uh, where Glenn Dolezal with Cargill Meat Solutions and John Sticka of Certified Angus Beef joined our host, Miranda Ryman, and Mark McCulley uh, to talk about opportunities that technology will provide uh, in the beef industry. And the title of that piece is Better Measures Lead to Better Beef, Red Meat Yield, Next Opportunity. Pumped product and mechanical tenderization. Most associate these enhancement methods with pork or poultry. Yet not that long ago, the beef industry was exploring these options to improve product quality too. Back in the 1980s, everybody was working on restructured beef and aspects like that to upgrade low quality. And then it just didn't come to fruition because people still wanted a great steak and a great taste, says Glenn Dolezal, Assistant Vice President, New Technology Applications for Cargill Meat Solutions. He joined John Sticka, President of Certified Angus Beef, on a recent episode of the Angus Conversation to talk about technologies that never came to fruition, 
others that changed the industry, and what still lies ahead. I think the big revolution that's taken place here through relationships across the supply and merchandising chain has been, we have a great product, here's what the consumer wants, now let's inherently breed and manage the quality into the cattle, meet their genetic propensity to please the consumer, says Sticka. Producers just need a target, he says. When economic signals aren't clear, you go a lot of different directions. You scatter, Sticka says, noting the improvement from the demand lows in 1998. You look at where we are today. The economic signals have become clearer and clearer every year that, we're moved, that we've moved forward, and I think that's why we've seen the centralized focus on quality and consumer demand because grid marketing and camera data collection has really allowed that information to be captured in volume and go back through the system to create a clear economic signal. While cattlemen should still place focus on marbling, Sticka said, the packing sector is considering ways to better quantify saleable red meat. The yield grade equation was developed in the 1960s and marketing has since evolved. We don't sell subprimals with a half an inch or three quarters of an inch of fat anymore. We are predominantly boneless, Dolezal says. We need to pick up more than just the round, loin, rib, and chuck, because the thin meats and the brisket, all the cuts of beef, are important and valuable today. Lean trim for luncheon meats and pizza toppings isn't accounted for either. I think the industry needs to reinvest in a greater number of carcasses being tested to develop a modern red meat yield determination to improve our yield grade system today. Listen to the entire episode, The Packer or the Producer, Who Has the Power to Improve Beef Quality, on all major podcast platforms, or follow the link provided in the article to this episode of the Angus Conversation. And as an editor's note, this episode was sponsored by Westway Feed Products. That wraps up the four articles we're going to read for you out of the April 12th edition of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. We hope you'll go to the website www.angusbeefbulletin.com forward slash extra and look at all 12 of the new articles. If you have any suggestions, please get back to us at abbeditorial at angus.org. We hope you enjoy this and look for the next edition here in a couple of weeks.